Tim, thanks for that short introduction that you promised to do. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Grateful for Tim's very kind words, seriously um, humbling words, Tim, and for Josh's words as well. Um, It is... uh, it has been a real joy for all of us that traveled from Philadelphia area, um, from Covenant Fellowship to be with you this weekend um, for a number of different reasons. Um, Josh was talking about uh, impacting your faith and, and the joy that's there. We, we, you have impacted us that way as well. Um, one of the things that we were talking about yesterday is during the ministry time, your eagerness to engage God and receptiveness to uh, the gift of prophecy that just builds our faith and it's, it makes a statement about you as a church and that that alone brought us great joy um, but then just being with you um, what's so what's so great about the gospel is that regardless of where we live or what language we speak uh, we feel like we have friendship and fellowship in Christ isn't that true and so we leave here thinking these are our brothers and our sisters in Christ and we will continue to pray for you as a church and we are so glad for you being here in this area. And one of our prayers is that not only would you continue to grow in the way you're using the gifts, but pray that you would reach more people for Christ. Uh, so this outreach that you're doing for Saturday, we'll pray for that. Um, and we just want you to know, we, we know I love you. We were with you as your brothers and sisters in Christ. So thank you for having us. And uh, it, it's been a joy. Uh, Tim asked uh, that I preach a message on the spiritual gifts or to wrap up what has been just a wonderful weekend as I've, as I've already mentioned. And there's no better place really to go probably in scripture than 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're going to begin reading in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing By the one spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Tim just prayed a moment ago, but I, I just want to add one prayer. Because as I was praying throughout the morning early when I was praying for our time together, just um, believe that there are some here who desire more of your experience with God. There's a, there's a thirst that you have. And uh, I just believe the Lord's going to meet you today. 
I believe the Lord's going to begin to quench that thirst that he's going to be able to manifest his presence to you in a way that you've longed for. And so you arrive here sort of feeling like you've been walking through this desert. And I believe that living water is going to just enliven your soul today. So let me just pray for any of those that may be in that category. Lord, thank you for for just being among us. Your presence is here. And I pray for the work of the Spirit in particular for those who thirst, for those who long more of an experience with you. I pray that you would meet them today. I pray that you would manifest your presence to them today. I pray that you would meet them in that thirst and and just bring satisfaction in only the way that you can. And as you work among us today, even during the ministry time, may, may all be done for your glory and may all be done for your praise. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. You and I, we live in this physical, traffic jam, schedule-packed, fast-paced material world. We feel the daily pressures of work and providing for our families and raising our families. Our cars break down. The roofs on our houses need replaced and we have to go to the doctor a little more often as we age. All of those are Reminders to us each and every day that we live in this material and physical world. And we must be careful as Christians that we don't lull ourselves into forgetting that we are spiritual people. Richard Lovelace says this, the failure to recognize the Holy Spirit as personally present in our lives is widespread in the churches today. Even where Christians know about the Holy Spirit doctrinally, they have not necessarily made a deliberate point of getting to know him personally. A normal relationship with the Holy Spirit should at least approximate the Old Testament experience described in Psalm 139. A profound awareness that we are always face to face with God. That as we move through life, the presence of the Spirit is the most real and powerful factor in our daily environment that underneath the momentary static events, conflicts, problems, and even excursions into sin, he is always there. Christian, do you believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit of God is always there? Do you live aware each and every day of the Holy Spirit and of his power and his activity of being the most powerful effect in your daily life. You see, we can't allow the demands and the pressures that we feel in living in a physical and material world to numb us into this this place that as Christians, we are spiritual people. Now, in opening this section of the letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12 through 14, where he's speaking about the gifts, that's one of the things that Paul is doing. He's calling their attention to this truth that they are spiritual people. He does that in verses two and three by reminding them of who they were. Who they were, they were pagans who were being led astray by mute idols. But now, 
However, they are different people. They are people that declare that Jesus is Lord. And it's clear from verse 3 that only those who have been born again of the Spirit of God, who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God, and then indwelt by the Spirit of God, only those people can say that Jesus is Lord. Look again at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now this this verse is important in us understanding the rest of this text that addresses the spiritual gifts in a couple of ways. First of all, uh, it reminds us what Paul is drawing our attention to is, first of all, the broad work of the Spirit. So before narrowing his discussion into this area of the spiritual gifts, he's reminding us that the Spirit does so much more. There's a broad work of the Spirit, and he does that by referencing the regeneration of the Spirit of God, that which Jesus taught us in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. He's reminding us, as Josh reminded us earlier, that all of us were once dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no way to bring ourselves to spiritual life until God acts and God takes initiative and he regenerates our souls and we are convicted of our sin and we see our need for a savior and we repent of that sin and place our faith in Christ. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you are here. If today you will call upon his name, if you will turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be born again by the spirit of God and you will have life with God eternally forevermore. Second, we know from verse three that at our conversion, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, reminding us as Christians that daily we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 18, in present tense language, be filled. Present tense is important. Be filled with the Spirit. You see, Christians are spiritual people because we've been born again by the Holy Spirit, We are spiritual people who daily need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can experience the presence and the power and the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Don't you want more of that, brothers and sisters? Don't you want to live more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? Don't you want to see the Spirit's activity? Don't you want to see him empower your gifts and use them for the glory of God? See, one of the ways that we are aware of God's presence and aware of the Spirit's activity is through the use of the spiritual gifts. And obviously that's what Paul wants to talk about here when he begins chapter 12 with now concerning spiritual gifts. And we know from chapter 7 verse 1 they actually wrote him about this and asked him about it. And so now he's decided to address these spiritual gifts that they wrote him about. And that's, that's very relevant for you as a church. It's very relevant for us as a family of churches. Because you as a church and we as a family of churches, we believe the gifts are for today. Theologically, we would not define ourselves as cessationists, meaning that the gifts have ceased. Rather, we define ourselves as continuationists 
meaning that we are to continue to use the gifts until the second coming of Jesus Christ. So what Paul has to say here is not only for the Corinthians, it's for you and it's for me. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three characteristics of the gifts, and then we're going to look at some individual gifts. So three characteristics of the gifts. Here's characteristic number one. Gifts are given and empowered by God. Gifts are given and empowered by God. Go back to the text and begin reading with me in verse, we're going to read verses four through six and then drop down to verse 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 11, all these, so he's listed some of the gifts. And then he says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now what's striking in verses four through six is that each member of the Trinity is mentioned. The Holy Spirit in verse four. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ in verse five and God the Father in verse six. And did you note before each references made to each person of the Trinity, this word varieties is used. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. You see, what Paul is saying here is that he has given gifts to the church, and those gifts that are given to the church, they, they are different. There's a diversity of gifting. There's a variety of gifting in the church, and the roots of that diversity is found in the Trinity itself. That's essentially what he's saying. Each member of the Trinity is fully God. You know that. And yet each member of the Trinity has a different specific function and role or service. And according to verse 11, God has given each of you, each of us, gifts. Each of us have gifts and they are empowered by the Spirit. And that diversity of the gifts as we use them to serve others reflects something of the diversity and the unity of the Trinity. That is amazing and astounding. That as you and I, we go about and we use our gifts for the common good to serve others in those moments as the church functions that way, we bring glory to God because we are reflecting the diversity and the unity of our triune God. That's massive when it comes to the glory of God. You see, it's important that you and I, we don't miss this theological construct that Paul gives here in verses four through six in our understanding of the gifts. Because here's one practical application of that theological construct. Gifts are not given primarily to draw attention to ourselves. Rather, gifts are given to serve others and as we use them, they're designed to draw great attention to God. Not just God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe you come from a past where you saw the gifts not used in a way that should be used biblically, where the gifts were used to really more draw attention to people and to God. I'd want you to know that this is a church and we are a family of churches that are seeking to avoid that error so that we use the gifts in a way that serve others and then in a way that draw great attention to God. 
our triune God. Now, it seems intentional to me that in these 11 verses, that's not very many verses, twice we are told that God empowers them. So we see in verse 11 that God apportions, so he's the giver of the gifts, and we are told in that verse, as well as in verse 6, that he empowers the gifts. It's another reminder that the gifts are not about us. Because you and I can't effectively use the spiritual gifts that we've been given apart from the power of God. It's one of the reasons why we need to be filled daily with the Spirit of God and ask for His power so that we can use our gifts in a way that He intends and in a way that draws great attention to Him. But what are these, what are these spiritual gifts that God gives and God empowers? Here's a definition that I like. It comes from Boyd Hunt. He he defines spiritual gifts this way. Spiritual gifts are God empowering his people through the Holy Spirit for kingdom, life, and service, enabling them in attitude and action to live and minister in a manner which glorifies Christ. I think that's a great definition because some of the gifts have, are more, look like more natural abilities. So you see that maybe in chapter 12, verse 28, where he talks about the, the gifts of administration or the gift of helping. Other gifts look more supernatural. So healing in verse 9 or prophecy in verse 10. In other words, the gifts as they are described in the New Testament, I believe defined in the New Testament, are a broad and diverse group of abilities and talents and gifting that God has given each of you. And he looks to empower those gifts so that we can minister in others to, to others in a way that draws great attention to Jesus Christ. See, spiritual gifts are given and empowered by God so that each of us can participate in kingdom life, so that we can participate in ministry, so that we can participate in mission. I mean, your outreach on Saturday, there will be a use of the gifts on that day. Whether you stay here and pray or you help administrate that event or whether you go out, pray for the empowering of the Spirit in those moments so that God will help you to participate in gospel mission. Okay, second characteristic is this. Gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. Gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. We see that clearly in verse seven. To each is given, there's that word, the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now God can manifest his presence to us in many ways, but it's clear that one way that God manifests his presence to us is through the gifts and through our use of the gifts. Sam Storm says it this way. I love the, I love the way Sam Storm says this. He says, spiritual gifts are the presence of the spirit himself coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression in the way that we do ministry. Now, I love this sentence. Gifts are God going public through his people. Isn't that a great short sentence of it capturing God's presence being manifested through the use of the gifts. You see, God loves to fill ordinary people like you and I with his spirit. He loves to give us his power so that we can use those gifts to minister to others and bring him glory. 
So if you're sitting here and you're one of those that I prayed for just a few moments ago, you're, you're thirsty, you desire more of the experience of God, then one of the things that you can do is to use your spiritual gifts and watch the manifest, manifestation of the Spirit as God uses you. Or you can, you can benefit from others' spiritual gifts. So go to your small group or go to your prayer group or go to those tag meetings and say, I just need prayer. And let others pray for you and allow the gifts to be given in a way that serves you. And in that moment, the manifestation of the Spirit will happen because God loves to manifest his experience his, his uh, presence among us. Okay, let me, let me just say one other thing. Here's one of the ways that we will be praying for you at Covenant Fellowship from, for, the, for this year. That you will be a church who is intentional to experience God through the use of the gifts in this coming year. As Josh said earlier, we, we pray that your faith has been stirred this weekend. Now it's time to, to practice that faith. And we're gonna pray that you're just going to have these wonderful experiences of, with God as you use your gifts. Okay, third characteristic. Third characteristic we see in the text. Gifts are for the common good. Gifts are for the common good. You saw it in verse 7. Let's look at it again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For what purpose? For the common good. They, they are given to serve others. They are given to strengthen the church of Jesus Christ. So all the gifts listed here in 1 Corinthians 12, those listed in Romans 12, those listed in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter, all of those gifts are given for the common good. They're given for the strengthening of the church. And it's another reminder that gifts are never to be used in a way that draws attention to ourselves, but always used to serve others and to draw great attention to God. And by the way, let me just point out one other thing. I mentioned this yesterday in terms of a, a common good in the gifts. I think sometimes we can separate the gifts from the gospel. I said this yesterday. And we can put these gifts over in this separate category and there's no mention of the gospel. But I believe the gifts are given to strengthen the work of the gospel in our lives. And even the way that this letter is written shows you that. So it begins in first, Paul begins in first. First Corinthians chapter two, verse two, by saying, I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he addresses a number of issues that he's writing this church about, including the gifts in verses 12 through 14. And then he begins to wrap up the letter in first Corinthians chapter 15, where he says in verse three, this is of first importance. What's of first importance? Not the gifts, but what? That Christ died for sinners. So he begins with the gospel and he ends with the gospel and sandwiched in between are these is this treatment of the gifts. It's just the way the letter structure tells you that gifts are given to to equip you to to encourage you to strengthen you in either the application of the gospel or the proclamation of the gospel in your life. That's a common good. And make sure that you don't separate the gifts and the gospel. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick look at three gifts. We're going to look at healing, prophecy, and the gift of tongues. So let's look at healing first. You see that in verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. So as continuationists, we believe that God heals today, and he miraculously heals today. 
And God wants to continue to heal today, to bring great attention to his name and his glory. Now, people who have the gift of healing don't heal. Let's be very clear about that. Only God heals. But those that have the gift of healing, and as they pray for people many times, not not all the time, but many times as they pray for people, they are healed. In fact, when we do our, our ministry time today, if you need physical healing, please let us know. We have some members from our healing, they're also part of our healing team that are here. And we want to pray for your physical healing. Now, one of the ways that we sort of just practice this at Covenant Fellowship Church, it's, it's not, you have to do it this way, but it gives you an idea of how we practice it. I believe it's every fourth Sunday of the month, we end our service and we just invite folks forward who, who want to be healed. And we've seen a number of miraculous healings in our church. Let me, let me just tell you one. Um, there's a man, there is a man in our church. He's actually part of our, our campus that we started recently, Ar- 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 Arnaldo Cavazos. I call him Arn, so I never call him Arnaldo. Sorry about that. Um, who came up for healing. And, and Marty Machowski, one of our pastors, prayed for him. And he sent him this email just a couple of days after he prayed for him. Here's what Arn says. It, Ever since the moment that you prayed that the nerve endings would be deadened and that the pain would stop for my foot on Sunday before last, the pain completely stopped. My foot has, been, has still been really sore, but the pain before was at a level that made me nauseous and that pain is 100% gone. This is remarkable to me because of the smallness of the problem. God would have been perfectly faithful to do nothing by anyone's account. So many more in our church experience worse and longer lasting physical afflictions. But I wanted to let you know what God did. Because I am rejoicing that God answered your prayer for healing. You see, people who are healed by God become joyfully aware of God's presence, don't they? They become joyfully aware of God's presence as the Spirit manifests himself through that, through that gift and they are personally aware of God's care. It's remarkable when people are healed in that way. And I, I share that illustration because it wasn't this big disease. His foot hurt and yet God chose to heal him. Okay, second gift that we're going to look at, and we, we touched on some of this yesterday, but in case you weren't here, we're going to take a look at the gift of prophecy. This is the way that we define the gift of prophecy at Covenant Fellowship Church. It's just this sentence, prophecy is the report of a revelation. Report of a revelation. Now, you got to be careful with that word revelation. Revelation doesn't mean that we are adding to the canon of scripture. As Josh said, nothing we shared yesterday is being added to the canon of scripture and we rejoice in that. But we use that word revelation because Paul uses it here in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and you can flip over to 1 Corinthians 14 and he also uses it throughout the New Testament to, to, to reference divine origin rather than human origin. So chapter 14 verse 26 says, what then brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, there's that word, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And then go down to verse 30. If a revelation, so same word, right, revelation, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. 
Verse 31, for you can all prophesy. So note the connection between revelation and prophecy there. For you can all prophesy one by one. Wayne Grudem makes this wonderful observation. The revelation which comes is thought by Paul to be of divine, not human origin. That is evident from from the fact that the word Paul uses for revelation occurs 44 times in the New Testament and never refers to human activity or communication. Rather, whenever the New Testament speaks of a revelation, it is always given by the activity of God. So someone who has the gift of prophecy is reporting something they, they believe that God has brought to mind. People who share prophetic words, whether that's corporately or with others, they, they report what they, what they are hearing from God. Sometimes that is even spontaneous and they're reporting what they believe the God, the, the, what the Spirit has brought to mind. See, that alone should stir our anticipation that God wants to speak to us today. As I mentioned yesterday, the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. We've got to get that right. Prophecy isn't greater than the word of God. He speaks to us through his word, but at times, God will speak to us through the gift of prophecy. And even though it is imperfect, and even though the gift of prophecy has no authority in your life, it has a wonderful purpose. What is the purpose of this gift? Why does God give the gift of prophecy to the church? 1 Corinthians 14, we saw this yesterday. Verse, actually, let's read verses one through five. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, here's the purpose of prophecy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. What's the purpose of prophecy? It is to edify, it's to encourage, it's to upbuild. He uses that word consolation there in verse three. It's to console, it is, to, it is given to the church to build up the church. Now, if you were to read through all of chapter 14, and I've done this several times, and as I, every time I read chapter 14, I'm always, I'm always affected by the repetitive language. Five times in this chapter, the language of the church being built up is used. You saw it in verse three, in verse four, in verse five, in verse 12, and in verse 26. That, 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 that should stand out to us because it captures the heart of God for his people. It captures the fact that God wants to encourage, that he wants to build you up, he wants to upbuild, that he wants to console. And that's very important to us because all of us can have this tendency to think wrong thoughts about God when we get discouraged or when we're going through trials and things are difficult, when God can feel that he's near or maybe we've sinned and we're experiencing the the shame of that sin. We can think in that moment that God has somehow withdrawn his presence from us until we get ourselves together, then he'll restore his presence to us. See, that's not gospel thinking, first of all. Because in Christ, 
Our justification is secure. We are righteous in God's sight. So it's not gospel thinking, nor is it the heart of God itself, because in those moments, he wants to not tear you down. He does not want to withdraw. He wants to build you up. The gift of prophecy is is wonderful in many ways because it communicates God's care to people, especially when they're going through difficulty and and hardship, especially when they're facing a difficult week. A couple of quick stories. It was just um, last year, it was this past summer, I was was preaching in um, uh, Marlton, New Jersey, and um, went to the service uh, with this picture that I was seeing, and I decided to share it before. I asked Warren Betcher if I could, but I decided to share it before I preached, and I just prayed for this person. What I saw was a person just sitting in a, in, a, in a completely dark room, and they were dressed in black, and they were bent over, their head was down, and they were wringing their hands. And just a sense that whoever that was, that they were, they were anxious, and they were depressed, and they were, they were just in darkness, And then I just saw in this picture Christ stepping in the room and lighting up the room and going to this person and lifting their head and causing their gaze to move from downward to upward to to gaze upon Christ. In that moment, they they were restored. So I shared that impression. I prayed for that person. I, I don't remember what I was preaching on. I think I was preaching on prayer from Ephesians 3. And the meeting ended. And um, I'm talking to a number of people. And there was a couple of ladies uh, off to the side waiting for me. And they walked up. And Kim Betcher walked with them. And it was a young woman dressed all in black. Young woman who was probably in her early 20s. Her mom was with her. And they just began to describe that she is, she's just been in this dark place that she has lost weight and that she's suffering this debilitating anxiety. And so I just prayed for her. It's a wonderful moment. Not even knowing she would be there on that morning. The following day, Kim Betcher sent me this note. She said, uh, and this came, this, this email came, was afforded from her, her mom. And her mom said it was clear. Now remember, we prayed for her. It was clear throughout the afternoon and evening, God was answering our prayers. Starting at dinner and through the evening, she was very hungry and she hadn't had an appetite in at least seven days. At one point, she was perplexed at feeling sort of giddy and began laughing for no reason. She she continued to laugh for the first time that we can remember in, in at least a week and it was a deep laughter too. And those led to tears of relief and refreshment. We talked about it later and she realized that though the anxiety may return, she can hold on to the experience of God's gift of joy and relief of yesterday. That's stunning. That the God of the universe, who controls all things, who keeps everything working in our universe, he speaks into this woman's life and he cares for her in a specific way. Captures the heart of God, doesn't it? The purpose of prophecy is edification. Now, as I, as I mentioned, prof, the gift of prophecy does have a couple of limitations, and we talked about these yesterday. First of all, the gift of prophecy is limited by our finiteness and our fallenness. As Josh said earlier, these people that have the gift of prophecy came with me and myself, we are sinners. We applauded when he said that, just so you'd know that we agreed with him. 
We are fallen and we are finite. We have limitations. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 9, we know in part and we prophesy in part. The prophecy that is found in scripture is infallible. It is in the canon of God. The prophecies that we share are fallible. They will never be added to this book. Thank God. And what that means practically is there are times when we will make mistakes. We don't intend to, but at times we will. And that has practical implications for you. It means that any prophetic words that you might hear and receive, you need to submit those to God in prayer. You need to submit them to the authority of God's word. And you need to just get wise counsel from others. In other words, you shouldn't make these large changes or directional changes in your life just based on the gift of prophecy alone, just based on a prophetic word alone. Because we'll make mistakes. It was a couple of Christmases ago. It was like the week before Christmas and we had a staff meeting at our church and we were praying for our admin staff, probably about 10 to 12 folks there. And Jared's praying for them and I came up and I said, "I, I think I've got an impression. I think that there's someone here who is going into these holidays with a bit of trepidation and anxiety and fear because they're gonna be with extended family and there's strained relationships in that extended family and I just believe that God wants to care for them. He said, great, share that. So I, I share that with the group standing there, just basically what I just said, and I stopped. Anyone here like that? And they, they, they did what you're doing to me right now. They just stared at me. And so I said, again, in my pride, anyone at all? And they did what you're still doing to me. You're, you're, they stared at me. And in that moment, I said, There's just, I just miss it at times. I make mistakes. And so you've got to be aware of that, in, of that limitation when it comes to the gift of prophecy. The, the, other, the other limitation is that the gift of prophecy doesn't have any authority on its own. It has no authority on its own. Prophetic words given today have no, carry no authority in your life. The authority that you and I live under is very clear, is the authority of God's word. We live under God's word. We live obedient to God's word. We want to follow God's word. That's why prophetic words must be measured in light of scripture. And because of those limitations, and also because of the context here in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul is trying to bring order to the service, we see that the gift of prophecy must be governed. And you see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. The the others are the elders of the church who have responsibility for the public gathering for the Sunday service and they weigh what is said. So that's we do what you do here. And Tim asked me to to sort of monitor the the mic this morning. We want to weigh the prophetic words and determine whether they should be shared. We're, We're thinking about, is this theologically accurate? Is it biblically sound? Will it edify? How does it fit into the flow of, of the songs? Those are just some of the things that we are thinking about. And by the way, if you come from a past where government was seen as a bad thing, aren't you going to just squelch the spirit when you do that? We find the opposite is true. That those who have to get their prophecy, they don't, they don't have to determine if they're going to share or not. That's, that's the other person's responsibility, the elder's responsibility, or his designate. And what it does is it frees them in their gifting. And they're actually very grateful for the government. You can ask those folks if you want to be sure. Okay, third gift, last gift, the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues. Tongues is listed as a gift in chapter 12, verse 10, to another various kinds of tongues. 
Tongues is a gift, and at times when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues. Now, it's clear from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30, that not everyone speaks in tongues. Some believe that. We as a family of churches, you as a local church, don't believe that all will speak in tongues. But at times, people will. The gift of tongues is... Is this, well, the, the, the word tongues is the same word that's used for languages. That's how you can understand. The, the word, of, word tongues is the same word used for languages. So the gift, to, the gift of tongues is the spirit-empowered ability to speak in a language you've never learned. It's the spirit-empowered ability to speak in a language you've never learned. I mean, the best illustration of that is in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, right? And there were a number of languages that were being spoken that those people hadn't spoke before, but people of other nations recognized that particular language that they were, were speaking. Now, the gift of tongues seems to cause the most controversy, right? It's where you get the most questions. Let's be honest, it, it's a weird gift, right? It's just kind of a strange gift, I remember when we first came to Covenant Fellowship Church, we came from a cessationist church, a wonderful gospel preaching, but cessationist church. So when we were introduced to the gifts, you know, it kind of, we, we were just a bit hesitant. As I mentioned yesterday, we had to study that, Jill and I, biblically. And we realized as we studied scripture, theologically, we were no longer cessationists. We were continuationists. We believed that the gifts were for today. And then we just began to think about it and pray about, well, what gifts has God given us? And I thought, boy, I love all of these gifts, but not tongues. Because the first time I heard tongues, uh, the person is you know, speaking, not, not in an inappropriate way. I just heard it, it was very soft and it, it, it freaked me out a little bit, to be honest with you. So I thought, I thought okay, God, I'll, I'll take any of these gifts, but not the gift of tongues. And then we were at this meeting. It was a celebration event. If you may remember the celebration events, and there was just a, pre, a wonderful preaching, on, uh, I believe that was related to the, the presence of God and the gifts, and they invited people forward for ministry. And I just, I just had to get out of my seat. I went down for ministry and someone laid their hand upon me. And as soon as they did that, guess what happened? This gift I didn't want, I began to speak in tongues. Now, I had two experiences in that moment. The first was I was very humbled. My first awareness of the gift was this. It wasn't tongues, it was the presence of God. I was humbled. It was, it was one of those moments where I wanted to take my shoes off because I felt like I was standing on holy ground. And then I realized, oh my gosh, <laughs> I was speaking in tongues. And I could control it, I could stop it. It wasn't like it was controlling me. And as I began to use this gift, I understood better the purpose of the gift of tongues. And you see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Why does God give this weird gift, so to speak, if we can call it that, without, without uh, casting dispersion upon it? He, he gives it, as we see in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 for this reason. Or, uh, verse, uh, verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But, even more, uh, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Why does God give this gift to you? Well, primarily we see because it, because it builds you up. It won't build up everyone else unless there's an interpretation of that tongue, but it can, it can build you up. It can, it can edify your relationship with Jesus. We prayed a couple years ago, we were just preaching 
in a series and we were praying as a pastoral team that people would just receive gifts that they wanted and that included the gift of tongues. And so it was, um, it was uh, let's see, this was actually a Sunday afternoon, must have been the day that we, we did this ministry and a member of our church emailed me and, and just, um, actually it was a couple weeks later, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, hi Mark, I'm writing to let you know that one way God has answered the prayers of the pastoral team this, is this week was two weeks ago I went forward for prayer at the end of the service to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This Tuesday, during my quiet time, I prayed in tongues for the first time. I am excited to experience God in this new way and I am more eager now to spend time in prayer. See how that edifies her? Great to be with God, and now I want to pray more. Question is, though, how, how can the gift of tongues, if it's to edify yourself, how's that for the common good? How does that help others? Here's what I find when I pray for others in, the, in, in, in this way, and how tongues work. There, there are times when I'm praying and I don't know what to pray, and so I begin to pray in tongues. And several times, many times in that moment, God will bring people to mind I wasn't even thinking I would pray for, I'd bring them to mind, and I would pray for them. And then I'll send them a note or an email or a text. And, and, and nine times out of ten, they, many of them get right back to me and say, what time did you pray for me? Because I was about ready to walk into a job interview. And to know that God led you to pray for me in that moment, that was so good. So the gift of tongues, if you use it that way, can be, can be for the common good. Okay, what time is it? Oh, we're way past. All right, let, let me just, um, jo- Josh, why don't you come up? Why don't you do that? Let me just mention a few things about how you can pursue the gifts. And I'm just going to qu- quickly go through these because it says uh, in verse, chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So how do you, how do you pursue the gifts? Here's a few, few things, and I mentioned these yesterday. First of all, don't pursue the gifts first. Pursue God. We saw in verses four through six and in verse 11 in chapter 12, he's the giver of the gifts. So pursue the one who gives the gifts. Pursue God. And here's what I found. I mentioned this yesterday. Those that are using their gifts most effectively are those who are growing in their relationship with God through the study of his word and through prayer and through the service to others. Secondly, pursue love. That's what it says there in 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love because if gifts are given and good, then you, you want to grow in your love for people. And then pursue the, pursue the spirit. We are spiritual people, aren't we? We've been reminded of that today. We need to be filled with the spirit, present tense language, as Paul reminds us. So what you do each and every day, I pray this every day, fill me with your spirit and lead me by your spirit today. And then pursue faith by, by taking steps to just step out in faith and begin to use your gifts. 